Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. Uh, On tonight's episode, we will be going over the top commanders and how to deal with them. And uh, a little more uh, on that is, you know, we're going to be going over how to kind of deal with them uh, from a game mechanic standpoint rather than list building. So I... I think uh, we've gone over quite a bit of list building to kind of help with a lot of the top commanders. Uh, so uh, I feared more of a game mechanic approach would be best, uh, especially to kind of round off and uh, complete uh, that topic. So we will be going based off the top commanders uh, as seen on a song of ice and fire stats.com. So if you guys want to be following along over there, Definitely go check out that page, and um, and you know that's that's the list we'll be going off of. Um, we might jump around a little bit, but I, I want to try to at least hit the top five. Uh, but who knows? We might jump uh, to you know some of the commanders that are a little uh, ranked a little under that, especially because you know uh, the top two commanders are both Stark, and then the next three are Lannister. So. Uh, to kind of maybe get a little mixture of factions in there, we might jump around a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, so we will be going over um, that. Uh, we do have a guest tonight uh, waiting a couple minutes for them to get on. Uh, so uh, I'll introduce them as soon as uh, they're able to uh, get connected here. But until then, I'll go over some of the shout-outs ahead of time. Uh, for those of you that have not visited yet, go check out a song of ice and fire guild.com. It's a great place with a lot of, uh, the idea behind the guild was, uh, we have a bunch of content creators that have all banded together to kind of put all of our, uh, content in one place for you to find it in one easy place. So, uh, go check that out. Uh, especially, you know, you'll be able to check out, uh, blitz minis, uh, content, Tabletop Warden, Mythico Studios, West Coast Bannerman, Northern Realms Gaming, A Song of Ice Fire Stats, and Sunday Slaughter, as well as our content. So go check that out. Uh has just about every bit of content you can think of, uh, of all types, between articles and battle reports and podcasts. Um, even has some real retailer sites on there. If uh, you don't really have a place to get your product, uh, as well as some tools such as uh, like an army builder and, uh, of course, a, a Song of Ice Fire stats. So definitely go check that out. Um, if you're not already signed up for a Song of Ice Fire stats.com, go check that out. Uh, make a profile. You can add your game super easy. Um, only takes a couple minutes, and then it only takes less than a minute per match to submit because uh, you only really need to add in like the game mode, the victory points, and the commanders. Um, so yeah, definitely go check all of that out. Uh, I believe on tonight with us we have Chris and Brett. Thank you guys so much for being on. Of course. And then... Uh, we are our guest tonight. Uh, we are just waiting on uh, Carlo from a song of ice and fire stats.com. Um, hopefully he'll be on in just a few minutes, but until then, uh, 
I guess I'll elaborate a little bit more about uh, tonight's tonight's topic. So I was thinking, you know, we've we've talked about a lot of like uh, list building uh, help on like what units to run against certain commanders and what combos and what other commanders to run against other commanders, but we really haven't talked about like some of the strategy behind uh, the game mechanics and how to deal with them. You know, what commanders that want to go first or second, uh, what kind of uh, terrain pieces that they want to see, um, whether or not they're going to want to take uh, better field position over going first or second. Um, just things like that, things that will kind of help you. And this show, uh, this topic was mostly picked to help those that are maybe having trouble dealing with the top commanders, especially if um, you have a commander you really like that um, isn't performing as well because, you know, these top commanders are so good to, uh, um, or performing so well. So it's hard to kind of, uh, deal with them. So um, we'll start off with uh, kind of Holland Reed. So Holland Reed is based uh, number one right now. And uh, I think that has a lot to do with, uh, I mean, I guess I could always mention Rob Stark. He's number two. So the top two places is uh, Stark Commanders. I think this has a lot to do with uh, some of the really tough um, like 10 plus activation Stark lists. Um, I feel like these two commanders just make that much easier because you got Rob who gives Grey Wind as a free activation as a commander, and then you're, you obviously have Holland uh, Reed that uh, gives you the extra activation as an NCU commander. Um, so I'll uh, jump over to Brett. Uh, you've been playing a lot of Tabletop Simulator. So how would you go about uh, fighting either or or both of these commanders uh, from a game mechanic standpoint? Um, so I actually play all the games, and I kind of play in a, in a worldwide meta, so this is just a matchup that you're going to face. There's not if – you're, if you're playing in, in the competitive uh, scene, you're going to face Howland, you're going to face Rob. Um, I can tell you the strength of Howland lie mostly in his strength in the Stark mirror match. So Howland is very good at controlling other Starks. Uh, Bog Devil Ambush, as you know, you are a Howland player, is a very good and reliable way to kill a direwolf. But additionally, because Howland is that um, he is that free NCU, it allows the Stark player to kind of splurge and buy Walter Frey. So Walder Frey paired with Bog Devil Ambush is almost guaranteed to kill a dire wolf. Walder Frey on his own can kill a dire wolf over the course of two rounds. Uh, additionally, Howland's influence is so oppressive to the, the Starks, who a lot of times their lists are designed with a couple of heavy hitters, maybe Brand Berserkers and, and Tully Cab, maybe Brand Berserkers and Outriders. Uh, sometimes it's Swarm Swords with Brand. Like, they've got one or two that, that you're going to call their hammer unit, and then they kind of fill everything else in just to get those activations, and they use that kind of control to control the tempo 
and they just kind of focus on this one unit. And once they kill that unit, then it starts to snowball downhill because the activation advantage gets worse and worse and worse. And then they get their ability to play their tempo plays and just really make things happen. So um, with that said, um, I think that's why Halland is ranked so high is because Starks are so popular and Halland is just really good at taking down other Stark builds with like one or two dire wolves or like a Rob Stark list. Um, Rob is strong, not just for the free activation from Grey Wind, but his cards are just so good. Um, when I was playing competitively with Starks, I always used Rob. Um, and I used Rob with Tully Cavaliers. And I know Lockie Deborder, we've had him on. He's a very high-rated Stark player himself, and he swears by those Tully Cavaliers with Rob as well. I just had to play him, and unfortunately I did have to deal with those Cavaliers and Rob's card and uh, Tactical Regroup. And I think over the five rounds, he didn't charge me round one, but despite my best efforts to pin those Cavaliers down, he ended up charging me the next four turns. There, I just couldn't keep them corralled, so... That's a huge strength. And then Rob's disordered charge, just his commander ability to force a disordered charge, is so oppressive on its own. Um, so these are things that you've got to keep in mind going into these matchups. They're the two strongest commanders, but they're also generally what I see as the two most popular. And a lot of times you're seeing a pairing that's a Rob Stark list and then a, a Howland list. So I, is, is that what you were going for, or do you want me to kind of – go into a little bit of how I deal with them because I've got a relatively strong record against Starks in tournaments. Um, yeah, uh, let me just, uh, we have our guest on, so I'm going to introduce him real quick. Uh, but, yeah, I'll uh, ask a couple follow-up questions. So uh, we have with us our guest, Carlo, from a Song Advice and Fire Stats.com. Thank you so much for uh, being able to come on tonight. Hi guys, um, I hope you can hear me. Uh, thanks for having me back on again. Um, it's uh, great to come and chat to people about the game because, as you know, I uh, I like to just uh, I, I like the game so much I sit in front of a computer and talk to myself about it. So uh, get great to get to talk to other people. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Uh, we're glad to have you. Uh, I know it's been a while. Um, we kind of went on a streak for a little while where we didn't have any guests, but that was more so just from us kind of being busy. Uh, but yeah, we're definitely, especially with this topic, we're glad to have you on because uh, it kind of ties in with uh, a song of ice fire stats and what's uh, rated as the top uh, players. So uh, before jumping to you, Carlo, I'm gonna finish up on uh, kind of Brett's thought. So Brett, um, so I guess uh, how would you necessarily deal with either of those commanders? Uh, let's say uh, from a terrain or uh, maybe going first or second um, standpoint? Like, is there um, – I know every situation is going to be different, so it's hard to just say uh, exclusively, like, one way is going to be better than the other. But let's say we're talking odds here. Um, are you – is it more – is it better for, like, an alpha strike for either of the commanders or, like, certain types of terrain to kind of foil some of their uh, strategies? So I think Carlo is probably going to agree with me here as well. Uh, he's streamed a ton of these games, and he's seen these star players go down. One of the biggest keys is Walter Frey. I really hate it that he's such a big part, but it's not just for his ability to strip units' abilities. It's the wound. 
So if you're playing at Stark, you want, and you have Walter Frey, you want to go second. You want to go second because you're going to use Walter as your final NCU activation. And if you put him on the money bags or something, uh, they have no way to heal the wound off of their dog. So if you go second, you put a wound on the wolf, your very first activation of the next round is Walter Frey onto whatever zone, you kill the wolf. Same to what the way the Starks like to snowball their activation advantage on you. If you can start to get an activation advantage on these Stark lists that are budget building, and what I mean by that is they've got one or two units that are really scary, one or two units that are really strong, and they rely on the delay activations and the stall tactics from their dire wolves. If you kill their wolves, they can't use those stall tactics, and then they hold like a house of cards. So the Berserkers, if they're not alpha striking, if they're not controlling the tempo, they will go down to, I mean, even Baratheon Wardens over a little bit of time will eventually bring a unit of Berserkers down. Um, I've brought them down with Halberds, with Assault Veterans. Once you kill off the Dire Wolves um, with Lannister Crossbows or whatever have you, that should be, now you don't want to overextend and send your Knights of Castle Rock on a YOLO mission to go kill a wolf and end up on the Stark's side of the field. If you've got some Lannister Crossbows, if you've got Cersei and a Paid Mutiny, whatever tool you have to deal with Dire Wolves, you need to kill their Dire Wolves because that's what they're relying on is those dire wolves kind of sitting on an objective in Game of Thrones or otherwise just kind of running up the flank and waiting until they can finish a unit off or that let the wolf die on their terms. So you need to kill their wolves on your terms before they can play the Northrum members and start to kill their activation advantage. I think that's absolutely the best way of dealing with Starks right now. What do you think, Carla? Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. Um, I think the big um, the big thing about playing into Starks is if you can ever make or you know especially this high activation, lots of direwolf style of Starks that we see a lot online. At least we see it a lot on TTS. Um, if you can make the direwolves become a liability then you can put a lot of pressure on your opponent really early. And as um, as Brett was saying, you know, that that can be... A lot of that revolves around NCU use. That could be uh, like a Roos and an Axel combo, or, you know, you even throw in like Melisandre there as well from, uh, from a Baratheon standpoint, or everybody has access to Walder. And if you know what you're trying to set up there, you can like kill off a Diolf before before combat even begins, before anybody's even really engaged. And that can allow you to put pressure onto the Starks so that the Starks feel like they have... Um, you need to, in my opinion, you need to put like a ticking clock against them so that they feel like they have to do something. Because their real strength is, is that they feel like they can wait for you to do your whole turn and then they can kind of make a choice and kind of take you apart piece by piece. But if you can put some time pressure on your opponent, I think that's the real key. And so anybody, any piece, I think really in the game, which forces them to make a move to do something, even like crazily enough, you know, even, even, even a stone thrower or something like that, which means that the Starks can't choose when they're going to engage. They have to come at you as fast as possible. And they're all really going to help your chances. And, um, and, and some of those are quite reliant on that, um, 
that first turn, which is actually specific to them wanting to go second so that they have that first activation on the second turn, which can be quite important. Um, but in general, it's kind of like about a list composition and whether or not there's any weaknesses in the Stark list that you can exploit, I would say. Yeah, and I would say, you know, as far as like terrain, uh, some good pieces to kind of pick, uh, I would say it'd probably be like a Palisade uh, against um, like a Rob list. So thing that Rob really likes to do is throw out those uh, hit and runs or uh, I believe it's called tactical retreat or tactical regroup. Uh, just anything that's going to allow him to jump in and out of combat. Uh, throwing well-placed palisades will really limit the ability of, uh, let's say, Outriders or uh, Tully Cav from being able to disengage and, you know, especially if they roll high or if they get, you know, the card that gives them the auto six, you know, a palisade will really limit their options because the last thing you want is for them to not only be able to charge you, uh, but then, you know, shoot into your backfield or, you know, so I think uh, some some well-positioned uh, units will definitely uh, minimize because the optimal, I think, uh, solution is to force them to just have to retreat back the way they came rather than to get superior positioning on your uh, units. So keep that in mind, especially if... Uh, if maybe you do have more of an elite list and it's going to be much easier to get around your flanks, uh, just make sure that the, they're not going to be able to then retreat into your backfield um, like super easily. If you, uh, if you use some Palisades to help uh, narrow the field for you, uh, granted, you know, now that they're destructible, it's not like the end of the world, but every little bit helps. Um, but you know, I feel like unless, you know, you're, you're morale based, you know, you, maybe you want like a corpse pile, but, uh, the Palisades, I think will definitely, uh, help limit what they're going to be able to do to you on the field. The Palisades uh, are a really interesting idea and, um, they, uh, they actually remind me of, um, a game that, uh, one of the first games that I commentated on, uh, when I really started to understand, um, understand the stocks in a way that I'd never understood myself. Uh, so this was, uh, this is going back quite a way to basically the first big international TTS event that was run. Um, I think it, we called it back then the NRG TTS league or something like that. And in the semi-final, there was a game between uh, a player called Larks and a player called Ariakas, who are both uh, known to be now, you know, Larks is ranked the number one TTS player in the world. Uh, Ariakas is up there as well. And uh, they played a stark mirror match into each other. And it ended up with uh, a ton of Palisades um, on the deployment of the map. And it was um, an absolute tactical masterclass. And it was streamed. And uh, I commentated on it. And honestly, I didn't 100% know what was going on at the time. I was learning a lot uh, about the matchup and the way it was played and from two really brilliant players. And uh, yeah, I think I think some terrain pieces and palisades is a very particular one can have a huge impact on the game and that game if you go back and watch it is um a masterclass in how it was used to deny um to deny the space to the stark player yeah i actually remember the game really well um 
outside of a small little um, content creator tournament, the energy was kind of uh, my first big event. It's one that I often always reference to. I, I, I call it the, the NRG worldwide event because it was, it was like the first of its kind and you guys brought 64 players in. So it was a huge deal. And I think that it kind of started the, the tempo and started the ball rolling for all of these TTS events. And now we've got the three sales league and just TTS events going constantly. And then you're working on this world cup. But I remember that matchup between Ariakas and Lark because that's the event where I was running a Rob list. And, uh, I actually ended up coming second, which was pretty cool, but I dodged that mirror because I just lost my mirror match to Bob Bernard, actually, who now I've come to learn is a brilliant uh, Targaryen player. But he beat me in Dark Wings, Dark Words, and he was able to keep me out of, you know, the potential of having to face Larks or Ariakas because I don't think at that point in my uh, playing career, similar to, I guess, what you were saying, I was still learning a lot. I don't think I would have been a match for either of them at that point in time in that mirror match. So I remember the match. I remember the hype going into it. And those are definitely two phenomenal players to learn the intricacies. The The, the greatest thing about them when I when I tell people about Larks and Ariakas, like you're going to look at their Howland list and you're going to kind of chuckle because you think, looking at this list on paper, that you're going to blow right through it like, oh, mercenaries with Rickon, outriders, like he doesn't even have anything with a three-plus defensive save. Uh, you know, like what, what, what in this list is scary? What's going to beat me? And then they beat your face in with, with Walter Frey and whatever units that they have, and it's just them playing their game that they've, they've mastered it so well. They play the positioning so well, and they play so carefully. Um, definitely one that anybody listening you should go back and watch because it's like Carlos said it's a clinic for for positioning and using these kind of scrub troops to make something happen because I promise you you look at the list and you don't think it's much until you play it and then bad things happen so yeah and some of the so and then some of the other top commanders the next three actually are all Lannister um, now, with that said, all three, I, in my opinion, play quite different from each other. So I don't think any one strategy is going to help you necessarily against all of them, unless you kind of are just talking about a strategy against Lannisters. But as far as uh, with the commanders in particular, we have High Sparrow, Tyrion, and Joffrey in that order. Um, I think... Uh, Lannisters, especially High Sparrow, uh, if you're talking maybe like Knights of Castle Rock type build rather than like a faith list, uh, is definitely going to want to go second. Um, they're going to want to get up really close enough to where their uh, knights can get that for, uh, the second turn uh, charge off in, on you and hopefully you know put some uh, damage on you early. Um, now, I would say from my, uh, my play style, uh, I like to go first, even if I know my opponent kind of likes to go first. Uh, but I'm kind of the oddball there. So I think uh, forcing a high sparrow like that has a bunch of Knights of Castle Rock to go first uh, definitely would help uh, in a lot of scenarios. Um, I guess even Tyrion, uh, if Tyrion's running um, some Knights of Castle Rock because of some of his cards really... Uh, 
complement with the Knights as well. So for both those commanders, I think uh, going second is probably going to be the better cho- of the two. Um, what do you think, Brett? I know you're a big uh, Lancaster player. Yeah, I think more in particular, um, and actually Carlo here is a uh, renowned Lannister player as well, and he, he likes Tyrion as probably as much as I do, but um, oh, nice. I don't want to steal all of his talking points, but I'm sure <laughs> that he'll agree with this one in general. When you're, playing Lann- when you're playing Lannister, but especially when you're playing Tyrion, you have to assume that they have a card that you don't want them to have. You have to have, okay, this is my first plan, and this is my backup plan, and then this is my backup plan to that plan because if Tyrion completely shuts me down, what am I going to do? And if your answer is, well, maybe he doesn't have that card, then you're probably going to get your ass kicked by a good Tyrion player because you have to have some kind of contingency plan. You have to have, okay, if I watch her on the wall, this unit of Sworn Brothers up to kill his crossbows, and he plays delay orders, what am I going to do? If your backup plan is, uh, I'll make this five-inch charge and go support my sworn brothers, like, you're probably screwed. Like, honestly, that's the thing when you're playing Tyrion. You have to play into his mind game, treat it as if he always has the card that you don't want him to have, and sometimes you have to play, like, a, a smart mind game of, okay, I have, I want to make this charge, but I've got, like, swift advance and I've got a sudden charge, so which of these two cards is more important? Which one am I going to let Tyrion block? Or do I throw down this devastating impact and get them to block that so that I can swift advance the unit that I really wanted to combat? Like, those are the things you have to think. You have to play it thinking that whatever your best card is, you don't have it. Whatever order you want to activate your unit in, you're not going to be able to do it. And then you go about the game that way. And if you're able to do it, then cool, great. Um, Because on the flip side of it, you can't play too conservatively because then you've just let him completely control you, which is what he wants to do. He wants to control the tempo of the game. So make those bit risks and make those plays, but I think you have to be prepared for what he's going to do to you. Would you agree with most of that, Carla? Tyrion, Tyrion's a really, uh, a really special commander and a really unique case. He is, um, he is very, he's, he, he's special. He's, he, he's very different in the way he builds his lists. He's very different in the way he plays the game to most of the commanders. And, um, and to me, I think the really big thing is, is if you're, if you have first activation against Tyrion, um, then, then it's one of the hardest choices you can make you you've got some options there which might say um oh before he starts to control the turn i should activate a unit and take on this charge or something like that but again as brett's saying like you kind of almost have to assume that he's got the card that you don't want him to have and so i think that actually the number one choice you can nearly always make against Tyrion is to take letters Tyrion um, is an absolute nightmare uh, when he has letters and also like his tactics cards are incredibly important to him. So it's, it has a double value to Tyrion. So I think that whenever possible, if you can take letters, then everything else about your turn will improve. And if the, uh, if the Lannister player has letters, which as a Tyrion player would nearly always be the first thing I took, um, 
it's going to be a rough turn for you, I would say, in general. So it can be hard to make things happen against Tyrion on the turns where he's gone first, because he will almost definitely grab letters. And in response, you probably need to grab letters back, um, even if you don't think you want it, although letters is generally considered quite a high value, um, quite high value zone overall. So I think that that is the real thing that you have to ask yourself. Uh, Tyrion is... Playing into Tyrion's like playing poker. You've got to you've got to read your opponent. You've got to read the the situation really carefully. And sometimes you just have to like try your luck because if he has got the card, then you're probably screwed either way. If he doesn't, then you might actually get away with it. And and sometimes a Tyrion player might even bluff that they have a certain card, even though they don't, because they they just want to scare you into like. In, into indecision or scare you into not taking any proactive choices because of what might happen when you uh, when you counter it. Um, interestingly, though, like I think High Sparrow is actually almost the complete reverse. High Sparrow um, is a very very reactionary commander, and with his uh, defensive cards, particularly if he is playing a faith style list, if the High Sparrow is playing a faith style list. And, and that's a list that I actually used to run all the time. I, I play Baratheons more now, but back, you know, when I basically before COVID, that was the list that I always ran in all tournaments was uh, a High Sparrow um, Faith list. And actually, I see that list as quite the opposite, which is I always want to force you into making the first move. Whatever move you make, I think that I will probably survive um, through use of like the High Sparrow's defensive cards. And then I'll be able to heal back afterwards in response. And I'm actually trying to, uh, I'm always trying to get you to commit to something before I react to it. So on the flip side, um, the high sparrow, you really want to go after the high sparrow on the turns where you're second. I think you, you want to force the high sparrow to do something, uh, finish activating all those poor fellows so that they can't just keep reinforcing every time you attack them. And, uh, and, and, and it's a, real slog it can be if uh if you go for an attack and it turns out to be not as powerful as you think against the high sparrow because that's what he wants he wants to kind of bog you down into combat and uh and keep you stuck there joffrey on the other hand is the third commander out of the three he's he's the wild card uh joffrey can do a bit of everything and uh, as long as the lannister player is willing to take a risk so uh joffrey's hard to pin down i, I i'm less experienced with joffrey um, he doesn't get played a huge amount from what I see, but when he is played, he's played very, very well. And he combines incredibly well with the Mountain that Rides, which is what we see a lot of his rating come from. So Joffrey's the hardest to call out of those. But I would say, yeah, my, my, my general takeaways would be against Tyrion, be very, very scared if you let him take letters. And uh, against, the, against the High Sparrow, um, don't think things are going to go as well as you think they might. Be prepared for it to uh, kind of turn into uh, a bit of a grind. Well, yeah, I agree. I Joffrey... Go ahead, Brett. My bad. I did end up playing Joffrey in Energy. Uh, it was the kind of the the match for uh, who was going to be second place. I played Sosis Gender. He had that really interesting Joffrey list that he ran through that entire event. Uh, the Lannister Guardsman with Brienne of Tarth. Uh, it, was, it was an interesting choice for those seven points, but I think the big key to Joffrey is uh, the King's Guard, like you see them, and it's like they're worth three points. Uh, 
really bad things happen to the army if you go after the Kingsguard. But I think the biggest thing with Joffrey is as juicy and delicious as they look, if they've let you get an opportunity to just charge their Kingsguard, you've probably played into their trap, and that's what they want because they're not just going to give up their three-point unit that easily unless they've got some cards to keep them alive, some contingency plans, and they've set you up for a really nasty countercharge. Uh, probably a Wealth of Rock in hand, possibly Wealth of the Rock, and I am the king, and they're going to deflect whatever damage you thought that you were going to do, and now you're engaged with the King's Guard, and it's going to start to go downhill because no matter how many, even if it's just Joffrey standing there by himself, shiving you, they've got eight attacks that hit on twos, and the banners, and you can't do a single thing about the banners. Nothing can turn them off. So my advice for that is, if you're playing an experienced and a seasoned player and he's offered you his Kingsguard, don't, don't, don't just run out and chase it. Uh, that's, that, that's the carrot. Uh, don't do it because they're not as easy to kill as you think. Yeah, and I was going to jump back over and talk about uh, Tyrion. So Tyrion is uh, probably my second favorite commander uh, in the entire game. Uh, and I'm not even, like, a huge Lannister player. Uh, but I would have to say, yeah, definitely taking the the mail or the letter uh, as much as you feasibly can uh, is one of the best ways to kind of, you know, help, uh, help with that, um, kind of prevent his strategy a bit. So I would say, you know, whenever you can, take it. And when you do take it and you can place a token, more often than not, I would place a weaken because from my experience, Tyrion, is, his lists rely more on like offensive units that are, that are survivable because of his tactics of you know, kind of messing you up. So uh, I would say weakened on like, some, of the, some of their more hard-hitting units will definitely uh, help you justify not only taking the letter to block Tyrion, but it'll also help with uh, some of those some of the strategy of Tyrion kind of like foregoing uh, one unit to shoot with another, or you know preventing you from going uh, getting that charge off with the lay orders and then charging you instead. So uh, that's just something to keep in mind uh, that you might be able to justify the letters with if you you know, don't normally want it or need it. Um, especially, you know, with the tactics cards, who knows? So, um, yeah, uh, we do have a caller waiting. Uh, Brett, if you want to introduce our caller for us. Yeah, it's actually a friend's, uh I don't want to butcher his last name. It's B-I-E-R. Uh, I, I don't, yeah, I don't even want to butcher it, so I'm not going to try it. It's Fran. He's, extremely friendly and very active on the Facebook page. So he's going to come in and uh, maybe he'll give us some of his thoughts on some of these uh, five commanders, if he's played against them and what he's got to share from his experiences. So I'm, am I in? Yep. You're, uh, you're on. So hello everybody. Thanks for having me. Um, I also played in the energy tournament as Morpheus com. So uh, I love the game. I love what you guys do for the game, um, spreading the community, keeping it alive. Um, I mainly 
basically I'm only a Stark player, so my insights uh, are basically Stark based, and I usually like to go with funky lists. Like in the energy, I was a guy with the three outriders, and I think I mainly lost my games because I was too overconfident and too inexperienced with my lists. But what you guys said about like taking Walder, killing off the wolves. Um, getting down the activations is very spot on and with the Lannisters I see many people trying to take down guardsmen or uh, also the knights of Castlery Rock without committing enough resources to it so suffering from Lannister supremacy being stuck with those units and it's best to ignore some of the opponent's units and focus your strength at one side one place to hit as strong as possible. Yeah, I definitely agree with that notion. Um, my Some of my biggest strategies, especially uh, with my lists, which are more elite style, uh, even though I have like elite lists and I know that more often than not my units can beat you one for one, uh, I always still try to double um, <clears throat> excuse me, tried to double up units to just finish my opponent's unit that much faster. Even if it means maybe giving up a flank, uh, if I know I can weather it, especially with uh, the healing, uh, for example, from my list with uh, Blackfish, if I'm, if it means giving up a flank just so I can uh, double up on another unit and kill it really quickly, and then just potentially heal from that flank uh, attack, you know, I'll go for it because, you know, one thing in this game, the quicker you can kind of take out your opponent's activations, especially full, you know, combat units worth of activations, the better. And I think the better you'll be uh, down the road on, in the game. Um, so that's, that's one thing to keep in mind that don't be too confident with your unit, even if it is an elite unit and they have, you know, something kind of easier to kill or average to kill you never know the dice might say that uh, you're going to be stuck in that combat for like four rounds so um, just do your best to get in get out do your damage and never be uh, bogged down in a situation that you don't want to be in because because um, once you're kind of in that situation there's not many tools in the game uh, that are going to allow you to freely jump out of that situation and kind of change your mind later on you know, this actually spawns an interesting question I have for our uh, our staff guest today, uh, fellow Lannister player to Lannister player, and Carlo uh, maybe speak directly to all of our Lannisters out here in Radio Land. <laughs> this is like an, an ultimate comparison for me. It's like the celebrity death match: guard with captain, or poor fellows with champion of face. Which one is more dangerous? Which one is more defensive? Which one do you think is the the six pointer of choice. That's um, it's it, it's an interesting question. I think at six points, uh, as as Franz said, guards with the guard captain specifically actually perform very very well at six, and I do really like them at six. Um, I'm not a huge fan of poor fellows with the champion of the faith. I think poor fellows 
without any attachment are better than guardsmen without any attachment because the guards really, really benefit from that captain. But I find that actually the poor fellows can do fine without the champion of the faith or the guardsmen. Um, they just need that captain there to get them into um, really being both dangerous and defensive at the same time. Whereas the poor fellows... They're always dangerous because of their because uh, of their faith damage mechanic. If they want to be, they can be defensive. They can heal. They can use their morale to keep themselves alive. The guardsmen, on the other hand, their armor and their passing of the morale really needs either luck or the guard captain. So I'd say at six, I like the guardsmen and the guard captains more than I like poor fellows with champions of the faith. But the Lannisters and the way they are at the moment is they really favor just spending only five points on the unit. So uh, so I would definitely take the guard captain with the guards if you can. Um, more than just spamming champions of the faith, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not that into the champions of the faith. You end up with like so many, you end up with a pile of faith tokens that aren't really very useful. Um, and you end up with just healing wounds that you've never taken because your opponent just thinks, well, I'll just ignore that unit and I, I don't really have to do anything about them. I, and it, it's kind of funny that you say that because I was giving some lift advice once about Lannisters and it wasn't meant to be a cheeky response, but when asked about just the uh, five-point guardsmen on their own, my answer to that was poor fellows are cutthroats. <laughs> no no other option. I guess guards with captain or, or bust for me. So I completely agree. The, the panic thing can swing back the other way so fast on those Lannister Guardsmen that their defense save doesn't really matter because they're crumbling to panic possibly faster than the poor fellows who are an almost guaranteed pass are crumbling to their poor defensive save. Um, I like the chances of naked poor fellows to actually survive longer than the naked Guardsmen because of that. And, and sometimes in those cases, I like a unit of cutthroats for for that five-point filler because they add a little bit of pressure to the battlefield, and they're just not they're just not a bad unit. They're a good, solid five-point unit. Uh, kind of hitty, uh, add some pressure, play well into the Lannisters. So. But I think, I think Franz is absolutely right that like, a lot of people underestimate the Guardsmen as... In, in the amount of investment that you have to put into getting through them, three plus, if you if you fight these guys in the front, three plus, we're talking Wealth of the Rock, we're talking um, at all costs for their order. If you're not hitting them multiple times a turn, and more importantly, making them fail multiple tests per turn so that you can get through that guard captain into more tests, that they now can fail. If you can't hit them enough times, they are actually a rock solid unit that really shouldn't be um, should shouldn't be cast aside. It's just that most um, like really meta defined lists can't quite find six points for them. Not that they're not willing to spend six points on that unit. They're just kind of not really willing to spend six points on any unit. Is actually the unfortunate part for the Lannisters. So, uh, friends, I was wondering, uh, as a Stark player, uh, do you prefer to go first or second when it comes to having to face Lannisters? In particular, maybe 
High Sparrow, Tyrion, or Joffrey? Uh, and what's kind of your reasoning behind whether or not you go first or second? Yeah, I already told you I'm not that experienced of a player. I'm more like a lurker and thinking while I'm driving around and stuff. But I would prefer going first because I usually out-activate Lannisters anyway and I want to get the letters before they can take it. Um, sometimes it might be better to get the letters in the second turn um, to prevent like vital place of Tyrion. But usually I prefer starting denying the letter um, from turn one, even using Varys or any other means to just not give him tactic cards. Because from my point of view, tactic cards are game-changing. You have the units, even exper especially as experienced players, you see the units, you know what they can do, but tactic cards can shake things up because you don't know, will he have a cunning ploy or not? Will he have a counterplot or not? So it's super important to prevent him for as long as possible to get his tactic cards. And preventing people taking the letters is the best way to do it, as, except against Nightwatch or Baratheons, who will get all the tactic cards anyway. <laughs> That's definitely true. And uh, I have to agree, as a, another Stark player, um, I definitely like going first and taking you know, the letter to not only get cards myself, but prevent my opponent from getting it. And in my experience, uh, I've definitely had my fair share of games that have gone all six rounds, but I'd have to say in tournament settings, more often than not, uh, when time is called, we only get through five rounds. So with that said, if I take first, that gives me three rounds of going first to my opponent's two. Uh, now, granted, we could always go that sixth round, and they're going to go first, but uh, um, I just, more often than not, I'm going to get more uh, first-turn activations than my opponent. And uh, second round is usually not as uh, eventful, in my opinion, as round three, um, unless, like, both lists are both, uh, like, super offensive and have a lot of aggro behind it. But uh, usually three is where things are starting to pick up. And so I like knowing that I'm not only going to get to go first to take uh, that early uh, letters. Uh, I'm going to be getting to go first uh, round three once everything's kind of in the thick of, you know, battle. Uh, and I'm going to be able to pick probably one of the, you know, most important uh, activations in the game. Granted, sometimes that's not until round four. Uh, it's not always like round three. But I, I just find that uh, some pretty uh, pivotal uh, moments happen at the start of round three, whether or not you're going to maybe be able to finish off a unit or um, just be able to swing uh, before your opponent at a, a pivotal spot. Um, but, yeah, with that said, uh, next on our list we kind of have, uh, let's see uh, here, we got Rams. Can I, can, oh, go ahead. Can I interrupt you for just a second? I'm sorry, I can't yep. let this opportunity pass me by. While we've got France on the phone and Carlos on here, I did a little bit of digging with my little nosy ass, and I pulled up your energy list. They are definitely worth singing some praises to our guests for the moment. Okay, first of all, the, the energy event was not uh, your run-of-the-mill kind of... There were a lot of sharks in this event, and, and Mr. Morpheus here placed 15th, which is not 
at all unimpressive. But let's talk about these lists because I'm reading these and I'm I'm impressed with the list build and I'm impressed with the uniqueness of these lists. So his list one, he's got Al Tully Thornshields with Rob Stark. He's got Stark Mercenaries with Rickon. Three Outriders, Eddard Stark and Lord Bear. This is paired with, now I really like this list. I, I like the balls of this list. How Tully Thornshields with Dario Naharis, Commander. Umber Berserkers with 3N. Stark Sworn Swords with Rob the Young Wolf. Mercenaries with Rickon. Arya, Sansa, Catelyn, and Prisoner Jocko. So, I know exactly what you were going for. You force-marched up onto a unit that you put Prisoner Jockin in, that you marked with Brienne of Tark, and you charged them in round one and killed their NCU. That's, that's exactly what you were going for. And you have Catelyn, because if you pull a sudden charge, she can remove the weakened token that force-march puts. And then Brienne is going to brutalize whatever unit she charges with those plus... Uh, those plus two attack dice and the plus one to hit. Yep. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I did this um, in a test game. I killed Unsullied Swordsman in frontal charge because um, I was able to get my Berserkers to strike twice and deleted the unit uh, instantly. And the Targaryen player, he was like completely devastated because I killed his... Um, Swordsman turn one basically and removed an NCU and the game was lost right there. Um, but I used this list in my first game against against Forgon Fool and I was too greedy. He was playing me perfectly. He was just castling in and letting me come. And I learned in my very first game that as a Stark player you don't have to charge in headlessly. You, you can stay back for a second or two. And, and wait a moment, but I learned a lot during the tournament, so I liked it immensely. Um, I'm working quite a bit, so I don't have the time to play as many games as I would love to. But I, yeah, I really like those. Yeah, I mean, I'm giving you some props. I really, I actually really like these lists. Uh, what do you think about them, Carlo? I feel yeah, I mean, that this I'm, is not something you've really seen before. No, exactly, and I think that that, that really shows a, a level of um, unique thinking and also um, just being really high-level player. Like, I think that I, I have played Starks. I've almost, I've almost never played Starks because I'm aware that you can't just pick up a faction and, and play it and expect to be really good with it straight away. I think a lot of people think that Starks have this reputation that they're they're just like going to win every game and i definitely think that you can uh, as a new start player you can absolutely be overconfident in how how easy you think it might be for you to just charge and kill stuff um and uh, i've i've fallen foul of that on just a few occasions where i've ever played starks myself uh, and it's just not a play style for me um so i think that players think that they can just put the same stark lists as everybody else they can look at maybe what Larks and Ariakas are using and they can just put them on the table and do well, but it's not true at all. And I think that what we see here is someone who's looking at the Starks 
in his own unique way and finding your own unique powerful combos and doing incredibly well like you know 15th is very very strong in that first nrg event especially when you consider that nobody else is running the same list as you nobody else has come to the same conclusion that this is the best way to play you've you've found really unique ways to play really unique aggressive lists rather than what's kind of generally accepted to be like a control style start uh, with really high activations you've gone absolutely full all-out aggressive one particularly with that dario who i i i really like i really do want dario to do well i i really i'm i've tried i'm trying to get dario to work in baratheons uh but uh, it's just not quite there for me but uh and i think that maybe that's what you experience as well with dario yourself that sometimes if his cards come off it's just it's just absolute perfection and the combinations are there but uh he's not quite reliable enough maybe is uh, is the way to put it and um i i love your list i really do i think um i think their uniqueness shows just that everybody can do well as long as you uh, understand the game and think about the game uh and that's clearly what you've been doing uh, yeah, I might add, I played like Warhammer Fantasy for like 30 years. I'm 39 years old. I'm an old fart. And <laughs> I hate this cookie cutter list internet thing that many people dread on any tabletop because, oh, I need those models. I need that commander. I need that list to do good. And I think that's completely wrong. Tabletop is amazing because you can try different things and be successful with them. And I think Brett showed very often that uh, not the tabletop cookie cutter list is the only thing that will be able to win you any tournament. And I like to think around corners and invent new stuff instead of just copying stuff I find on the internet. Well, you you were a good good selection for this topic. I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt Dave, but I'm really just blown away by those lists. I had to go look once you said you played in energy and Okay, moving on. Very very good. Go uh, go ahead, Dave. I think you started to say something about Ramsey, maybe. I don't have the data in okay. front of you or where you were going. No, you're good. I, uh, uh, so I'm pretty I was... sure off the top of my head, you are the only person. I think you might be the only person in any tournament ever run on a Song of Ice and Fire stats. And I mean ever, ever, to use Jacket. <laughs> to use Jacket, mysterious <laughs> prisoner. You might be literally the only one that's ever been fielded. <laughs> that's so impressive. And you did well. <laughs> God, it's amazing. He... he... I mean, if you're looking at the results, uh, and I, I'm not, I'm throwing these names out because I respect these guys as players. He finished a place above Mahoney's Law, a place above Mr. Fox, uh, or he's above Mr. Fox, Zymag, and Bob Bernard. Uh, and then there's a number of other players that, that we know factually are very good players, Deoxys. Mm. And, like, you are not – you did really well. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. So – Back to back to Dave. Where were we going next? <laughs> well, we were going with uh, the topic, which is commanders and how to deal with them on a mechanic basis. So first turn, second turn, tactics board, and uh, terrain. 
Uh, so number six, seven, and eight, we got Ramsey, uh, particularly in Starks, Courtney Penrose with Baratheons, and Steyer with Free Folk. Now, um, Carlo, I want to ask you about Courtney, but I want to first uh, go to um, Chris with Steyer. Uh, Chris, so as a Free Folk player, how would you recommend to other people about uh, facing uh, Steyer Commander, um, like first or second or uh, terrain or tactics board, things that you, mo- you want to do to kind of um, screw up uh, Steyer's plans? So Steyer is one guy. So things that work well against them is making the Free Folk person pick like what unit or whatnot that you're going to throw them on. And sometimes you might just have to bite the bullet on one of them. But if you can get Steyer suckered out first, early, maybe you can throw off their plan and bait them into one guy. And kind of like we were talking about with Tyrion, you know, kind of play that poker game and shield what you really want to do and get them put on somebody else. This is uh, this is Dire Commander, Chris. The set for charge, Dire's vengeance, uh, final strike guy. Oh, in that case, I never use him as a commander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only when ever I saw him on the list, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> he's a good commander. And those, oh, I mean, his cards are awesome, but. I just think his NC is no so shirt. much better. <laughs> well, few that are. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I, I think, think Steyer is quite interesting. Steyer's only recently he he's always been in and around close to Harmer, but he's only recently overtaken Harmer as the as as the top rated free folk commander. Um, I think maybe it's that people have gotten. Um, People have gotten quite used to Harma. Harma, Harma was very, very popular six months ago, three months ago. Um, but I think that maybe Steyer is less well-known by a lot of players and that he his, his cards are incredibly powerful. Like, it, the, the, there's no doubt about it that you, you almost definitely bring Steyer in either commander form or NCU form. And one of the only reasons why Steyer isn't more popular as a commander is that people love his NCU so much. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think he is super super powerful, and I'm always scared to see him across the table because I'm very uh, experienced playing into Harmer, and I've learned a lot of her tricks. Uh, but I don't yet have an answer for Steyer myself, so uh, I'm always nervous. And uh, he has some really surprising cards. And uh, actually, I um, in one of the uh, I think it was a quarterfinal of the Masters. Uh, I'd completely forgotten what Steyer's influence effect was, and it had uh, his um, his go down fighting absolutely won a game, and I had completely forgotten that Steyer has go down fighting because I never see him played, and it was it was uh, a masterclass by um, by Bazoo from uh, Malta. So I thought I was I got a newfound respect for Steyer that day when I watched that game. Yeah, his attachment also gives stalwart, which is something really, really nice for free folks. So. His commander attachment, it's stalwart and go down fighting, two really, really powerful abilities. Um, I rate stalwart as being worth a point and 
go down fighting is almost two points if you think about it because uh, that's, well, no, I can't say that because you get shaggy dog and go down fighting. <laughs> I already knew where you were going there. I was like, I don't think we're allowed yeah. to put points on them, Brett. <laughs> that was about Never the most mind. hotly contested topic in the whole game. <laughs> how much How much does Russia right. really cost? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't even want to go into that. She costs less fighting than what she costs could. Minus one point. Exactly. I rate go down exactly. fighting. Two. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's somewhat similar. One of them costs to, minus uh, one. <laughs> well, it's, it's somewhat similar to cut them down, which you've got to put it at least a point and a half. But that's another subject. Anyway, um, I think with Steyer's commander, I'm pretty familiar with. Um, what he does and, and playing against him. I actually dabbed in free folk for a little while, just as a kind of change of pace army. I do enjoy playing them. They're a challenge, but I think what drew me Steyer, besides the obvious that I didn't want to always run Harma because that's what everybody was running, um, Steyer gives you a little bit of that, like, uh, Tyrian trickery, which I tend to lean more into commanders that, that are tricky. Uh, Steyer has that trickery because it's like, do you want to go all in with your Berserkers? How badly do you want to wipe out this unit of Raiders in, Raiders in one shot? Or are you afraid that for every wound that you cause with those Berserkers, you're taking a hit back? Like, do they have that card? Do they not have that card? Am I going to lose almost as many Berserkers as Raiders that I killed? Um, do I want to go kill the Commander right now? Do I want to kill Steyr while the Free Bolt controls the Swords? Do I want to risk that D3? I don't know. Do I want to go kill this bear at the end of the round? I really don't want the bear to charge me. But if I go kill this bear, am I going to unactivate this giant or whatever, the followers mm. of bone, whatever nastiness he has in the list? That's the thing that I like about Steyr is I like commanders that play mind games with your opponents. Like, and and it's, it's, it's almost like a poker bluff, like we keep saying. Like Maybe your yeah. opponent ran that bear up, because he wants you to think that he has uh, Steyr's Vengeance. Or maybe he did it because uh, he doesn't have it, and you're going to think that he does have it, not kill his bear, and then start of the next round, the bear's going to chew your ass up, and then when he finally kills it, he's just going to laugh at you when he doesn't play Steyr's Vengeance. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I never had the cards, but I'm glad I got a charge out of this bear before it died. <laughs> it's fun. I think I, think I like it. Steyr is really, really strong when he plays uh, when he plays in combination with one or maybe maybe two uh, powerful units that he wants to reactivate. Harma, Harma generally plays with just like a whole set of trash. Like there's just the board is just filled with trash. Nothing is valuable. Everything is insignificant. Every unit is throwawayable. But Steyr, on the other hand, is kind of supporting maybe like Bone Lord's Chosen with Rattleshirt attachment is quite popular, or maybe a giant. And in the future, I think we'll see maybe a mammoth or even two in there. Um, you know, some combination of maybe two of those units in there with, with the chaff that he's then going to sacrifice to reactivate that first unit again. So he's going to like cycle through getting this one unit to do loads of stuff which isn't something that we see a lot in the free folk the free folk in general we see them all chipping away with tons of raiders trappers everywhere you know that's the harmer style and i think everyone's become really really comfortable with that style 
of uh, Free Folk, and that's why Harmer and the Free Folk in general have dropped a bit recently. And, um, and, and, and Steyer's come as the number one replacement of that, which is actually there is another way to play it. And like you say, it's got this almost Tyrion-esque style to it. And it just like has surprises that if your opponent doesn't know what they are or has this bluff element of it, that they have to be scared all the time. Um, I might have a question here. Do you guys think set for charge will work with a mammoth trampling? Yes. Yep. It's a nightmare. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty adamant that uh yeah, when if you if you charge a mammoth in the front, the mammoth could with Steyr could play set for charge. Uh that would give it an attack action which it can replace with a trample action, which allows it to trample through the unit that just charged it. Then the charging unit's no longer in combat and doesn't get to make an attack. I believe that that I'm 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 pretty flat out confident that's the way that, that interaction works and it's very not favorable to the charge. Well, and Horrible. if you haven't activated the mammoth yet, it can now then do something that you know oh, God, now yeah. maybe in the back now. of your lines. <laughs> so with that that be they're, they're going to be interesting. Like, we'll see we'll see what happens. <laughs> Like, 10 Warriors with Syrah are, like, the most defensive unit in the game. It's 4-4 with set defense. I was even thinking with uh, running Steyr Commander with a single giant. And, you know, if you try to charge that giant in the front, you know, you set for charge. And if you haven't activated yet, or if you the combat zone is available, I mean... Yeah, your unit's uh, probably dead because even you know he's gonna wipe out just enough to make your attack weak. You're gonna knock off just a couple wounds, and he's gonna swing back, and you're gonna be dead. You're giving the children nightmares, Dave. Mm. <laughs> so, so I is really strong, but I think the only the only place that Steyr falls down is is if you can focus down this. It, it, it has a centerpiece unit. That's what it has. Maybe it has two. It has Bone Lord's Chosen or a couple of Giants or something like that. Now, if, and it is an if, if you can focus down that centerpiece unit, then the other units don't do very much. You know, Harmer really empowers every single raider to be dangerous. But Steyr <laughs> says that one really powerful unit I've got is going to do loads and loads and loads of stuff. And if you can kill off the powerful unit early then that's, that's how you're going to go into Steyr. So it's about real careful control of not just killing off those raiders because you can. You've got to put everything you've got into killing those Bone Lords Chosen. And then you've got to hope that he doesn't endless hoard them back onto the board, but still. Yep. And uh, to kind of jump into our next uh, commander, Courtney Penrose. So it wasn't until recently that I kind of I always knew that he was strong, but it's not until somewhat recently that I realized that he was arguably the best uh, Baratheon commander uh, with, you know, just a combination of him being a NCU commander and having three very powerful cards. Uh, So, uh, Carlo, how would you kind of suggest to face off against this, uh, this commander in particular for the Baratheons? Courtney's Courtney's super super strong because um, he just uh, he's similar to a lot of the other powerful commanders that we're talking about. Lots of commanders have 
or every commander. Every commander has something good about them, but Courtney is good in every way. His MCU ability is good, um, which is uh, you influence a unit, an enemy unit, and every time that unit is targeted by a zone of the tactics board, you uh, get to heal one of your own units within long range for D3 wounds. That actually if you so if you combine that with letters that works so the most common thing for courtney to do again similar to Tyrion, is he's going to take letters as his first action he's going to place courtney onto a unit give it a token and then that is targeting it with the letters zone and therefore healing it's almost like you get the letters and the money bags at the same time and that synergizes into the whole side of the renly faction which is all healing based basically so his his synergy with his own faction is very, very good. His ability is very, very good. He's an NCU commander, which is just generally known to be kind of better than on-field commanders in a lot of situations, in a lot of game modes. Uh, and then finally, all, all of his cards are very, very strong. So he's good in all aspects, and that's what makes these commanders like really top-tier commanders rather than just okay commanders. Lots of commanders have good cards but a bad ability or a really nice ability, but their cards, or at least one of their cards, two of their cards, aren't very strong. Specifically for um, Courtney and the Baratheon side as a whole, they play into healing very strongly. So, you know... It, it's a little bit boring and obvious, but corpse piles are super, super on your side. If you if you can get corpse piles onto the board, then that's going to be your number one choice for terrain. I would say uh, against Courtney specifically, you want to take letters as much as possible, but you also you know you want to block those money bags. He makes he makes the tactics board really difficult. That's what that's what he is about, um, and. It's a very, very difficult prospect to break down um, a Courtney-based uh, Rose Knight kind of healing list once it gets to where it wants to be. That's the really important yeah. part, though, is in the late turns, he'll want to heal loads. But in the early turns, it's about taking horses away from him and getting up the field as fast as you can and taking objectives before he gets there. That's where, that's where Baratheons on the Renly side specifically and Courtney all fall down. If you can get there first and never let them have the objectives, then all the healing in the world isn't going to do them any good. All the, uh, you know, all, all the defensive capabilities that they have won't do them any good. And instead, you can actually get there first and kind of refuse to attack. So horses in the early zones is absolutely your number one um, zone against Courtney and that that's what I think a couple of people underestimate yeah and I'd have to say that uh, one tactic to definitely do is like you said take the, the male before he can because the, the male is the only spot that does not target a unit so if uh, Courtney goes first uh, unless something it really is standing out that needs to be addressed uh, you take the male with Courtney influence a key unit of your opponent. Now, if that unit is targeted by healing, you heal. If they're targeted by the combat zone, you heal. If they're targeted by the maneuver, you heal. Now, if you take one of those zones, uh, they can then take the crown to then zap that very unit, which is now being, again, targeted by the tactics board, and heal again. 
So you can easily get two heals out of Courtney with that comp with putting him on the mail. And then if that unit that you targeted, if, uh, if it was a smart pick is probably going to be the, um, you're going to deter your opponent from targeting them now from either the maneuver, the combat or the heal. Um, and you know, now you're faced with the choice of what do you do? You know, it, it really puts you in a bind of, you know, do you do it anyways, knowing that they could heal, you know, you never know. Maybe they just roll one and you get lucky and they just heal one guy. But, um, yeah, with Rose Knights, it really makes it difficult because then now you're comboing with a lot of their, uh, their healing and auto wound, uh, mechanic. So I would say for them, take away the, the mail whenever you can. Uh, obviously if they're going first, a lot of times they're going to take it before you, but, uh, don't sleep on the crown because actively letting them hit one of your units with a with a crown zap and letting them heal D3, um, you know, it, it's something that uh, you can take for granted. And if they're doing it all game, then you know it's it's really going to stack up on the healing. Um, I think Courtney is one of those NCU's that or NCU commanders that you're really going to want to. Uh, be very mindful of the board and the combinations of which uh, who's going to be targeted where uh, to try to minimize that healing because other than Courtney's ability um, there isn't a whole lot of healing uh, between if I'm correct uh, he doesn't have any healing with his cards unless you use his one card to pull another card that heals which I believe is just stag uh, resilience so uh, yeah, just keep that. Yeah, he, he's quite low on his um, native healing, as, as it were. So he's he he's so reliant on where on where he places himself as an influence, and then you really want to try and switch kind of like where the importance of that round is. If you can if you can not use the unit that he's put influence on, then that's nearly always going to be best for you because he gets so much value out of each of those heals. Exactly, yeah. So if you can min- mitigate him as a, his ability for healing, I mean, you're really only going to see healing from Stag's Resilience and if he uses his card to get it again. Uh, so if you can, you know, if you have anything that shuts off him in particular, uh, like Intrigue and Subterfuge uh, or just something in, uh, similar to that, then you're going to really be able to mitigate the healing and I think have a much uh, easier time. Uh, It won't uh, guarantee the game by no means, but I think it'll just uh, be one of those things that will really kind of help tip things in your favor. Um, Then I might have a piece of advice. Oh, go ahead. Um, If I can chip in for a bit uh, against the Refugees, I think we will season played a bit more once they get more units and things and I see less and less lists online um, that make use of uh, longbow archers of Starks or crossbows of Lannisters and Nightwatch and ranged units, low morale very squishy, once you get them engaged they are in trouble but they are amazing against Baratheons because Baratheons want you to be in melee with them to engage them and start hitting them and then they hit you back harder. And they're super slow, so they're perfect targets for ranged units. 
Um, and having a list with at least a bit ranged potential is amazing against Burfields because even the champions as cavalry might not be able to really get fast to your ranged units so you can control the game and hit units with ranged attacks. Oh, I definitely Absolutely. agree. Absolutely. I range. think... Um, go on, sorry. You go, Dave. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Um, yeah, I was going to say, ranged units are definitely a bane to uh, Rathians, especially right now that they don't have their champions of stag out. Uh, granted, they are, you know, just really fast infantry, essentially, but... Um, or they don't have any uh, ranged units yet, uh, other than, you know, if you wanted to take Stormcrow archers or maybe Bastard Scrolls. But, uh, but, yeah, they don't really have any good answers for ranged units. Um, unless maybe if you are picking your own terrain, sometimes that can really be a big deal uh, if you want to run some Palisades. But then again, I feel like Palisades can be just much of a bane to the ranged units as it can be to the Baratheons themselves. Because Baratheons are definitely, you can run them as elite, but I think they've play best kind of more mid-range so like a, a good solid five combat units and with that said you don't necessarily want to narrow the field you want things to get into combat and so a palisade could help you just as much as hurt you what were you going to say Carlos? as a star player I wouldn't mind uh, palisades for my archers mm. I think um, I think the archers issue is um, is that a lot of people are aware that the the game and uh, a lot of list building is uh, tending towards quite a high activation count. But it's also actually tending towards, if you look at um, competitive uh, Lannisters particularly, but also we talked about it a lot with Rob, um, and you know even Targaryens if they're in there and all these things. A lot of people are tending towards um, very aggressive cavalry. Lance cavalry specifically is doing very, very well. And that is obviously quite a bane to uh, a lot of ranged units. So a lot of ranged units are seen as just a weak point at which um, Nectar Castle Rock or uh, Tully Cavaliers or even Stark Outriders, Targaryen Screamers, all these units will be able to get in, get a kill, and then like start to get into the backfield. And, and, and it will be a weakness to you. But there are definitely plays there and ways to play that can help you and terrain like we're talking about can be a really big part of that and i think that a ranged unit has a lot to play in the role of um stopping your opponent from just sitting outside and and not engaging you um in in that activation kind of high meta it stops your opponent just being able to wait for you to activate all your melee combat units and like you say, they are the absolute bane of the Baratheons. The Baratheons hate them because every single card in the Baratheon deck triggers off of basically beginning in combat or having ways to uh, kind of charge things into melee. They do not want to see ranged units opposite them. But yeah, I think it's just a general tendency at the moment that the game, the game is, is shifting towards uh, high aggressive cavalry, which is not a good, uh, not a good matchup for those uh, soft ranged units who want to go in against that slow infantry. What do you think, Brett? Um, I think. I mean, yeah, I mostly agree. I've uh, I had this little pet project, Night's Watch list. Um, 
as a pairing to my primary uh, Night's Watch John list, and it was a double crossbow list with Offal. And <laughs> the things that it did to Baratheons are <laughs> are not to be spoken of. It was it was a very bad match for my Baratheon opponent. Um, just horrible. Um, but with that said, though, that's with Offal's card, you know, uh, critical blow on crossbows with half-hands influence. You've essentially got Sworn Brothers charging, but they're 12 inches away. <laughs> that's just, I mean, it's out of range for any Baratheon unit really to do anything about. So um, I think uh, speaking from the mind of Night's Watch, because they're kind of my current boo, uh, but uh, I think Night's Watch players can attest to how good trackers are in that matchup too. Um it's just not something that the Baratheons want to see. But back to the subject of Penrose, have to give my guy, George, a shout-out. Uh, he participated in Masters. He unseated me with his Penrose list, and he made it to the semifinals, semifinals running Penrose with a unit of champions at the stag. So I think that he's a very good commander, and I knew that he was a very good commander. And uh, George did a number of things that Carlo just mentioned there as far as using the tactic zone for the heels and uh and then his defensive counter card if, if the baratheons can get their activation count up which should be helped with the stagnite noble uh it's going to be really really tough to get through uh the renly side defensive nature of baratheons when defensive counter is an option and you can't really just wait them out if they've got equal to or greater activations than you so uh, I'm not surprised at all to see Penrose making his way up to where he is in those standings. Unfortunately, the Dragonstone Noble. Um, oh, I, I, I did also. I thought we were going to have. We, I thought we were going to have my beloved Renly as absolutely dominating the battlefield with a nice high activation list um, and still running around with all those Rose Knights and all that powerful stuff. But he is, unfortunately, he's Stannis, uh, he's Stannis loyalty, which is actually the real kicker of the, uh, of the quarter four releases for, uh, for the Renly side mm-hmm. is that they got some attachments, um, which don't quite synergize to the units that they have just yet. I assume, I hope from the names that we're going to be getting some more Baratheon uh, Renly side units from the Tyrells. But uh, yeah, the, the Lord of Dragonstone is uh, unfortunately a Stannis, a Stannis loyalty. So no, uh, no Courtney Penrose combo there. You are right. Yep. I misspoke. I misspoke and you're absolutely right. So uh, I only know. I only know because <laughs> the dream had come to me as well. The, 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 list, the list was forming around my eyes. I didn't even know how many points he was, but I knew that he was going to be there and he was going to be amazing. And then, and, then I, and, then I, and then I saw the loyalty and I thought, oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Oh well. Yeah, what a shame. So, uh let's see. So last uh we have we're just going like top ten. Uh so we had Ramsey and Starks, Dario and Starks and Harmo with the free folks. So uh kinda wrapping up, um Ramsey and Dario they kind of they add a little bit to you know, a little bit extra to Starks, but I feel like they're not really, they're both very offensive commanders. So they're very, they're still very similar in the way of, you know, Starks in general. Like they, they do their own thing for sure. And that's why they're taken, but they're not really necessarily so different 
that uh, you need to completely have like have an entirely different strategy against them with Starks. Um, they're just adding extra attacks, extra maneuvers, um, and just you know uh, you're still usually going to you know run a lot of the same strategies. I believe you just you just have to kind of watch out for their tactics cards in particular. Um, but with Harma, uh, we'll kind of end on Harma in particular. So Harma for a long time was kind of the top dog or, you know, up there, you know, top three for a long time. I'm surprised to see her kind of dip down into, you know, still in the top ten, so that's still pretty awesome. But um, I'm just surprised to see her kind of dip down. But like you were saying, Carlo, I think people have kind of just gotten used to her and kind of figured out uh, – what you know they need to do to avoid her power plays um so what would uh even though i think a lot of people have kind of learned from facing her uh carlo what would you say are some of like the big things to help protect protect players against her either like uh first or second or tactics board or whatnot on the on the tactics board, she um, she more than anybody um, loves 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 the horses zone, the uh, the maneuver zone. So even if uh, it doesn't seem super favorable to you, uh, taking that maneuver as to, as as a blocking action is always going to be one of your best plays against Harma. She she can chain off the off the zone itself. She can recycle cards. Um, and really, Homer's all about outmaneuvering her opponents anyway, getting into flanks. That's where she's going to do the damage. That's where she's going to uh, get her wins. Uh, you might not even want to use the maneuver itself. And so if you had uh, like a, a zone swapping NCU, it can actually be a very good first choice to block that zone. Uh, Harma in general... Yeah, like we said, she's gonna. The most common Harma builds are. I've got a lot of raiders, a lot of insignificant units. You've got those trappers, and she may even be completely filling this 4x4 deployment zone with, uh, with skin changer bears in there and stuff like that. Against Harma, it's really, really about playing, uh, playing to the mission because she's got so much stuff that you're very, very unlikely to ever wipe her whole army out. Um, unless, you know, your opponent's being really super, super, super aggressive. And so, as the fight goes on, you're not going to be scoring any points from killing her insignificant units, and as long as she's trading, you know, two of her own insignificant units for one of yours, she'll be scoring a VP for that. So you have to be very, very aware when you play into Harma where you're going to actually score some victory points. That might be from this secret mission play it might be controlling objectives or just very specific things so uh, i think keeping the mission in mind is super super important against an insignificant spam and harm is the most common uh, variant of that uh, as for as for the terrain on the board one of the mistakes i see players sometimes make is um they think that harm is going to be very very reliant um, or susceptible is the best word. Harm is going to be very susceptible to taking panic damage because, you know, her, her free folk um, her free folk insignificant raiders and uh, trappers, they've all got terrible morale. They've all got eight morale. Surely we should put um, a, a, a corpse pile onto the board, make that a nine. The, the crown's act's going to make that a ten. It seems perfect. It seems like a really good idea. 
but actually that corpse pile and that negative morale is going to have a much bigger effect on your good morale units on your six becoming a seven rather than their eight becoming a nine um the most really good free folk players just assume that they fail all morale tests anyway you know like they can't rely on themselves to pass morale and they're just lucky that these days in the new morale rule they only ever lose four models and four models from a trapper unit is nowhere near as bad as if your knights of casting rock fail a morale check and they lose uh, a ton of wounds from something like that so actually inversely i think what you want to do is you want to be running um those weirwoods if you can uh if that's something that you want to go if if morale's important to you then weirwoods don't don't worry about the free folk failing their morale they'll do that for you don't you don't you don't need to you don't need to put vicious on them you don't need to put corpse piles in they'll fail eventually you should worry about yourself failing and uh, if your opponent's really running a massive army uh, it can be quite valuable to use palisades to uh, particularly at the edges of the board to pinch in the, uh, the the width of the board and give yourself a real fighting chance so that Harma can't just dive into your flank constantly because you're going to be outnumbered. You're going to be get like enveloped and um, kind of surrounded by Harma eventually. So what you want to do is you want to slow that down. So Palisades, I think, are a good help there. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, I definitely say Weirwoods. If you're going to go for morale, it's going to be... It's got to be it's got to be beneficial morale it's got to be the weirwood side not the corpse pile because that's actually uh, a slippery slope to uh Harma doubling her damage against you with every attack yeah and i agree with uh the palisades for sure i was gonna say that uh another thing you can do in conjunction with the palisades is just smart positioning uh Anyone who hasn't played as Harma and or as Free Folk in general, it's not as easy as it looks to try to maneuver, you know, enough units that take you know that stretch across the entirety of the four by four deployment, and get them all positioned exactly where and when they need to be, especially in a turn, uh, you know, a activation uh, swapping, you know, a, a activation based. Uh, uh, game as Ice and Fire. Um, so I would say that, you know, if you can, the Palisades shrinking the board, and then if you can deploy your units to be close enough to each other where there is no way to fit a unit into the flank will really help with uh, avoiding uh, her tactics card. Um, or is it her ability? Either way, the one that allows her to go into the flank. Um and I think that will really help uh, prevent a lot of that damage. Not only that, if you can position in just the right way that uh, when they charge, if they can't fit 50%, they either have to go 100 or they have to go somewhere in between. Either way, it doesn't allow for another unit to go in your front. So... Uh, I had this uh, multiple times when playing against uh, Free Folk, or Harma in particular, that if I, even though I have like a more elite type list, if I can position them, my units in just a way to prevent uh, two units on my one, I can just kind of take them one-on-one at a time, and I know I'm going to wipe them out uh, slowly but surely. 
especially if you can get some free attacks based on whatever commander you have, in particular mine, um, having set for charge, or you know any other free attack action. Uh, ours is the Fury, um, but uh, yeah, positioning is big too because it's if you make it that much harder on the Harma player, uh, it's it's really going to help you in the long run because um, the Harma players are already having a tough enough time when you have you know like what ten units on the on the board trying to maneuver everything, especially with bears. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be, you know, a mental exercise for them to make sure that they can get two units uh, on every one of yours to really, you know, lay down, you know, a lot of wounds. But if you position just right, now this is something that either would be you'll have to do with practice, uh, but fortunately when it comes to maneuvering, uh, that's something you can kind of do on your own time. Just kind of sit down with some empty trays and then just try to like uh, practice it out how the palisade how much away from the board edges you have to put the palisades and then how much distance there is in between each palisade and uh, if you can take the maneuver from Harma and try to get up to that chokehold you know that the choke point of the palisades to kind of prevent them from attacking them before you ever get to it because the last thing you want is for them to have nothing better to do than to attack the palisade and then make the palisades kind of pointless to begin with. So just something to keep in mind between taking the maneuver, the palisades, and positioning, I think will really help to minimize almost anything Harmon can do to you. What do you think, Chris, uh, as you know, our free folk player, uh, what would you say is something you don't want to see uh, done against you or spots be, being taken on the tactics board? Like we kind of mentioned before, maneuver zone is huge with her. So if you can take that away, that's going to cause her some problems. As you just said, pretty good depth. You know, just positioning your own units so you're so the free folk player can't get either of those flanks or the front charge, because in order to get into the flank, she's going to have to hit the front legally to begin with, and then flip to the side. So if you can take that front away from her, or not have that side available to even put your own tray there, then you've taken away a huge part of her. What about, uh, Carlo, is there anything, uh, I think we'll kind of wrap up with uh, Harma here. Is there anything you want to close out with uh, with Harma in particular? Um, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right that, uh, that Harma is actually very, very difficult to pilot from Harma's perspective. Uh, with all these units all over the board, they all want to be ganging up on units at the same place in the same uh, space. But it, it's so hard to get them all there at the right time. And so if you can think about uh, if you, against Harmer, you should actually mostly be thinking about how can I just make this really difficult and complicated for the Harmer player? Like, I absolutely wouldn't want to end every turn just facing completely forward towards the opposite side of the board. Just start, start to throw in angles that aren't on 
aren't easy to predict, aren't easy to work around. You don't want to give up any flanks for free, but you do want to start to face your units inwards, start to use some careful positioning, start to face yourself towards certain pieces of terrain, particularly those palisades, which will like completely deny charges. If you can do all those things, then you're just going to become a nightmare for the armor player. And as soon as they misposition one unit, it can have a whole knock-on effect that all the other units won't be able to get into charge range anymore. They won't be able to make it into combat. And you'll be able to start to take, take her apart. The part where she falls down is that she requires really, really precise positioning. She requires really um, a lot of tactical forethought about what's going to happen next turn and the turn after. So if you can just make... You can, if you can add on a whole ton more complicated thinking onto that, a whole more complicated set of moves, then you're probably going to be onto a winner and make things just too hard for the free folk player to ever kind of figure out and stay on top of. As soon as they've made a mistake, pounce on them and you'll uh, and you'll do great. Yep, I, could, I, I definitely agree. Everything is kind of you know, everything is easier said than done. Uh, my uh, wife likes to say that and i go you know is that not true for basically everything so if you can you know you can look at a harma list and it can look amazing on paper but actually putting it on the board and making it function the way you're envisioning in your mind a lot harder um you know it's it's really hard to get all the pieces into play and in the spots you need them to be and i think uh a lot of players unfortunately make it too easy for a harma player and kind of in the example you just gave, you know, just sitting your trays forward, you know, with no like angles to them, just slightly angle everything, or even maybe make one, the units to the left and right of another unit, just a fraction uh, further. So, you know, move, you know, your main unit, uh, you know, 11, let's say you're a six inch base uh, movement, March them 11 inches and, you know, you know, just a fraction under 12 inches. And then the two units to the right and left of them, move them the full 12. That way there is physically no way to fit a tray uh, without it being a hundred percent on that unit. Because if they were to try to be 50 either way, they're going to bump into those units that decided to go the full 12. Um, it's just things like that. And then you can even, uh, in like, uh, angle the two units on the, on the left and right, just barely to where the same thing you, they're not going to be able to do 50%, um, towards the unit that is in between them. Uh, but they'll be able to do a hundred or 50% on the outer sides. Uh, and, the angles can be very, very minimal. Like it's really not going to change your, uh, what you see all that much, but it will prevent. And I know it seems kind of gamey, but I feel like Harma in particular is a very gamey, uh, commander. So it's, uh, yeah, never, never, feel, yeah. never feel bad for, for using maneuvering against Harma. Cause she, cause <laughs> she's, she's the queen of it. And, uh, and if your opponent's going to make it so hard that they have to fill their whole deployment zone with troops, then you, you, you're absolved of all sins. You can, <laughs> you can play, you can do whatever you want to make things awkward. Just, just don't yep. be mean in the game or say anything bad, but you know, on the table, do whatever you want. It's free raid. <laughs> yep. Just, uh, as long as you let, 
your opponent know what your intentions are, you know, because the last thing you want to really do is make, get it like a sour situation where you did something legal, but then they go to charge and they're like, what? what are you talking about? You know, if you, if you angle them in such a way, even just have like an empty tray off to the side to give them an example, be like, hey, this is my intent. You can't physically fit this way. You're only going to be able to fit this way and then take that empty tray and kind of show them. So that way they're fully aware of what they're getting themselves into. Because the last thing you want is for them to make a full-on tactical decision with the intent of something that they didn't realize based on you pivoting like a millimeter in one way. So definitely uh, always let uh, your opponent know of your intention. That way there's no uh, hard feelings. So with that, uh, we're going to kind of wrap up. if we had infinite amount of time, I would definitely go over pretty much all the different commanders. Uh, briefly mention that we have uh, Vargo with Starks, Mance with Free Folk, uh, which I'm very happy to see him very high up there because he was low for a long time. Uh, Brandon Outrider Stark, Eddard Stark, Roos with Starks, um, all in the top 15. So definitely some more commanders uh, to you know think about. Um, you know, try to think of not only ways to face all these commanders with your list building, but just think about the tactics board. Think about, you know, first or second, because sometimes uh, it doesn't matter too much to you or to your army if you go first or second, but maybe it might hurt your opponent if you go first or second. And that's something to kind of think about. Or even terrain, same thing. Some terrain might help you really, like, a lot. But then again, sometimes some of the train might not really do much for you, but it might really hurt your opponent. So these are some uh, some of the things to kind of think about when you're doing your uh, when you're you know trying to figure out what's best to kind of face these top commanders that you might be facing all the time. Especially if you're playing tabletop simulator, that's where I think you'll see uh, a lot of these commanders um, in particular. And the only reason I say that is because certain play groups kind of have their own style, and um, I feel like tabletop simulator is a bit more competitive. Uh, whereas, like if you're just playing like your weekly local, it might just be you know whatever you kind of want to play that week. So definitely just keep that in mind when you're uh, when you're figuring out your strategy against these commanders, because um, I definitely believe some of the commanders on the list, you know, they could definitely be higher. Some could be lower. Um, it just comes down to trying to figure out how to fight them. And the perfect example would be Harma. Uh, Harma. You know, for a long time she was way up there, but now that people have kind of figured her out, you know, she's kind of dropped to where I think she probably should be. You know, still a very strong commander, but, uh, you know, not the top of the top. So, um kind of do the last uh, bit of shout outs that uh, we didn't do at the beginning uh, Carlo if you want uh, to kind of plug in uh, the stats page yeah definitely um, obviously I am uh, I am the, the runner of the creator of uh, a song of ice and fire dash stats dot com um, if people are running tournaments then you know I really love them to uh, sign their tournaments up on that and run it through there. Uh, if you have any issues, then you know I, you can always message me through Facebook, Discord. There's a lot of information on the site about you know some 
some uh, some some of the sign up process is actually the most complicated part about the site. Uh, signing up and getting yourself a profile can be one of the most complicated things. So if you have any issues with that, then I'll absolutely love to help you with that. Um, but then once you are signed up, just everybody of all levels, uh, no matter where who you're playing, what you're doing, if you submitted your results, it'd be really really great. It really helps you add to like the wealth of knowledge. The 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 site is built upon um, kind of analyzing data from players from everywhere, not just looking at tournaments, not just looking at the winning lists. It, it uses like large scale, scale statistics to come up with these kind of uh, rankings and um, both player rankings, faction rankings, all that kind of stuff. So every submission counts is what I always tell people. Never be... Uh, thinking, oh, I don't play competitively, so therefore it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm not playing in a tournament, so it doesn't matter. Um, it, it accepts everything. It wants to uh, have people submit everything. So um, yeah, go on, have a look. And if you feel up to it, then uh, get get your gaming group on there and submit your results against them. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's very simple, very easy to do. So Definitely check out uh, a song of ice and fire stats uh, dot com, um, and if you ever forget, uh, you know, the site for whatever reason, um, you can go to a song of ice and fire guild dot com, where you can find all uh, both uh, mine and Carlos' uh, um, pages, as well as many other content creators. Uh, and you can go check out uh, tons of different content on there and, you know, get pretty much all your gaming needs that you need. Um, so definitely check that out. And remember, you know, the best thing you guys can kind of do for us, uh, like, follow, and share out our page, uh, our personal pages, and um, and the guild. Uh, just kind of get, uh, you know, word of mouth is like the best thing you can do. Maybe not even just on uh, online, but like if you're at your local and it kind of uh, the topic comes up about uh, content, you know, just kind of uh, let your group know about us, and uh, you know, we great, greatly appreciate everything that you guys can do, and uh, you know, we're kind of here for you to just kind of build the community. Um, but with that said, I'm gonna thank uh, thank you, uh, Brett and Chris, for being on. Thank uh, thank you to our caller friends, and definitely thank you, Carlo, to our guest who uh, came on to you know talk about the topic. Thanks for having me. As always, uh, so thank you guys for listening in. We will be back next week, uh, same time, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And for those of you that can't uh, make our live show, you can check us out on. Uh, you can find us at songofvicefireguild.com, blogtalkradio.com, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, with that said, this is the Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.